Welcome to the podcast series of the College of Education and Integrative Studies at Cal Poly Pomona. My name is Jeff Pass. I'm the Dean of the College. And today's focus will be on early childhood studies. And we have with us uh, two students and one professor. We have Brianna Isabel. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Thank you. And Edmundo Perez. Yes. And also here is uh, Dr. Uh, Eden Haywood-Bird. Uh, professor of Early Childhood Studies. And we're going to start off talking to you, uh, Dr. Haywood-Bird. Uh, you're relatively new to Cal Poly Pomona. You've only come in the past year. Uh, what is it about our program that uh, attracted you to come and work with us? Um, that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, my, I think the major attraction for me was the diversity of the student body in not just early childhood studies, but also um, within the College of Education and Integrative Studies. Um, I came from an institution that was predominantly white, and um, it just felt like I was still a cog in the, the, the you know, marginalization of um, students of color and those who come from marginalized backgrounds already. So this was a chance to really make a difference in terms of uh, addressing issues of uh, inequality and, uh, and social justice. Absolutely, yeah. Equity in early childhood is not just a hot button issue. It is incredibly important to children and families. And California having 60% of the children um, who come from a background that is, where they speak a language at home that is other than English, uh, it felt like this would be a great place to really make that difference. And uh, anybody who's been uh, following in the news recently has noticed that uh, our new governor has uh, specifically called for more resources to go to early childhood studies. What are you expecting uh, to evolve from uh, those initiatives? Um, well, I think that it's likely that the early childhood credential will be reinstated. It has not been part of the state for 40 years. You better explain what that means for people who don't understand credentials. Absolutely. So an early childhood credential would be the same as um, or similar to a multi-subject credential. Only students would be um, credentialed to teach birth, either birth through age five or birth through age six. Um, it's unclear right now whether that would be where that age would go to. And multiple subjects is elementary. Elementary. So students uh, complete their four-year degree and then they enter a credential program for elementary multiple subjects or right. secondary single subjects. And you're suggesting that maybe early childhood would also be one of those pathways. Absolutely. It seems that the the governor and this um, the Department of Education in California are interested um, in basically bringing that credential back to the state, which would bring us into line with a lot of other leadership states within the United States. And what are some of those other leadership states? Pretty much every other state has an early childhood credential. Um, right now, California has the permit, but the um, it, it has not done what the permit hoped, which was increasing uh, pay and accessibility to all families. Okay. And... Currently, our program in early childhood studies is a four-year program, so yes. you could take it only as an undergraduate. Absolutely true. Do you yes. see that changing? Um, right now, I don't see it changing. I think it's likely that if the credential is brought back, it will be brought back as a four-year credential, um, kind of like the ed specialist credential currently is um, possible under a four-year. So I believe that that is where the state is heading right now, but it is still pretty nebulous and up in the air. 
And I, I would guess that also they'll keep it at four years because there's such a demand for early childhood teachers. We need to get them out quicker rather than uh, put more obstacles in their way. Absolutely. Uh, so what about your research? You're also a scholar in early childhood studies. What is it that you study? I'm really interested in how, um, I have two, kind of two strings. So I'm really interested in how students develop their sense of identity and what sort of practices in the classroom help support that development of identity. And when you say students, are you talking about the college students? Actually, I'm talking about children. The little ones. Yes, so I'm very interested in how children develop their, their sense of self and their um, own efficacy and how they see themselves as capable, um, both learners and capable humans. And um, alternatively, I'm also interested in how teachers in early childhood classrooms see themselves and their own identities and how their, their identities influence the development of children's identities. So, and how do the teachers' identities influence the children? Well, it seems that there's quite a correlation, um, both positive and negative. So if teachers have a uh, strong understanding of themselves as um, being the know-it-all, the person who has all the answers. Uh, children seem to see themselves as not really capable in coming up with conclusions themselves. Because they uh, defer to the authority in the front of the room. Absolutely. The power dynamic is implicit between teachers and children. And those teachers that seek to really flatten out those power dynamics and make it so that the children are in charge of their learning to a certain extent, those children appear to have much stronger senses of themselves as capable and um, are much more in, engaged in developing the skills that they're interested in. And, and how would a teacher flatten out the power dynamics? To some that would seem preposterous that <laughs> little children are in control of their learning. So one of the best ways to think about flattening out power dynamics is to think about the children as fully formed human beings. They may not be cognitively, you know, mature. That doesn't happen until, what, now they say age 27. So a lot of adults are not cognitively mature and we still, you know, expect them to uh, make decisions for themselves. But by thinking about children as fully developed human beings with interests in a, in a deep, rich internal life, um, teachers can then ask children what they're interested in learning about and a really skilled teacher then takes those interests and weaves them together into lessons that, that focus on what the children are interested in, but also hit on all the developmental domains that children need support in developing. And what are some of those developmental domains? Um, language, literacy is a domain, social emotional is a domain, cognitive of course is the one that we um, tend to focus on a little bit too much, I think, in, in education in general. Uh, physical, you know, all of those those areas that children need to develop in over, you know, the course of their childhood to become um, whole, fully functioning adults. So uh, when you teach your uh, methods courses about how to organize the curriculum, uh, what kinds of uh, activities would you have them do to uh, enable them to create that kind of classroom? So I tend to approach my courses here at Cal Poly from a constructivist framework. You'll have um, to define that, of course. Yes, so constructivism uh, basically says that students are in charge of constructing their own knowledge. And I use a like scaffolded method. So that means that I give them really specific um, objectives that I want them to attack. 
So for example, um, I want you to create a machine using the materials that I'm giving you and then demonstrate this machine to the rest of the class. And then I give them a lot of materials to then experiment with so that they can have the experience of using materials that I want them to then do with children in their own classrooms. So giving over that power to the students in my own classroom. Okay, so let's expand to uh, Brianna and Edmundo. Have you participated in this activity of creating the machines? Uh, machines, I'll say no, but we have, oh, I have experienced something different. And from Ms. Bird's uh, class that we're doing for math and scientific one. So it's really amazing being at home, seeing these materials that we could bring into the classroom, so to work with the children, and then working with our colleagues on how to develop this, like, this activity. So by that, it's just amazing, like... Well, what kind of materials did materials, you bring Materials, so like, the things that we had was like wooden sticks, it was, oh my, this was a while back. <laughs> last semester, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, last semester, that was a while back. But uh, it was uh, mostly about nature stuff going on. So basically, we had to find a way on how to integrate that for the children to learn, and then using proper wordings on they could like connect with them better. By proper wordings, you mean what? Uh, like this is a leaf, this is a stick, and then number counting. So this is one, and then you had to be visual too, because they're learn uh, audio and visual learners also. So we like to be very open to that. So you're conscious uh, when you're preparing these kinds of lessons mm -hmm. that you have multiple objectives to reach. You're developing vocabulary. You're developing numer numerical competence. Yes. And not to mention the emotional and physical kinds of goals, too. Yes. The very domains that you were talking about. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And how about you, Brianna? Did you participate in any of this? I did not. I think that was, what, what was that, 4,200? 4, 4,200, yeah. And I have not taken that yet. I'm taking that next semester. Sweet. I know, so I'll have you <laughs> next semester. Um, but I did take 3,300. And 3,300 was Early Childhood Education, Leadership, and Social Justice. And... I love the way you taught that class because oh, thank you. Um, I felt like I learned a lot. Like, so we would read from the books. I think we had three different books and we would have chapters to read and we reflected on them. So when we went back into the classroom, we got into a big circle. We had a Socratic seminar and we basically went around the room. There was questions on the board and we went around the room and answered them. So it was good listening to everyone's experiences with what was read in that chapter. So what would be something that you would read in the Socratic seminar? There was a lot about dual language and I'm and, taking a, And by dual language you mean children speaking more than one language? Yes and how there should be more dual language in early childhood in programs and centers and we went around the classroom sharing experiences on like um, if they hadn't, if their program had any dual language, or what should you do when administration um, doesn't? How should I put this? Support uh, it. Yeah, support it. Yeah. So, Dr. Bird, uh, what what about dual language? Why is that something that we would want to encourage in uh, preschool classrooms? Um, dual language is the idea that children sh have the right to be both. Um, taught and learn their native language as well as English. And so it's this idea of biliteracy and bilingualism that's taken to 11. So the idea is that you connect your everything you do in the classroom to the culture and language of the home because it's, it's important and it should be valued. It's 
different than bilingual education in that bilingual education is really just looking at the cognitive domain while dual language is looking at all of the domains, that all of them are somehow connected to the culture and native language of the family. And since California has so many children who are um, speaking a different language at home than English, uh, it's something that all early childhood teachers will have to be um, competent in when they're teaching. So that age old principle of start where the student is. Absolutely. And if that's what the student brings, and that's where we, what we work with. Are either of you uh, dual language uh, in your experience? No, I haven't. No. No, no neither of you? No. So how do you feel about uh, doing kind of dual language things when you haven't done it yourselves? I, Is that scary or uh, exciting? It's not scary. I would want to do it. Um, I actually bought some books. Um, that are both in Spanish and English because, you know, I think it is important to, like, accept everyone's culture. And it starts in preschool. It starts, you know, in that early age. So I would want to take more dual language courses here while I'm studying early childhood. Yeah, for me, uh, my experience will be just mostly with my nephews, uh, working more with the dual language, basically, because they speak Spanish and English. So I did notice one of my nephews have a harder time to grasp Spanish, and he's getting confused with English at the same time. So what I try to do is try to break it down for them, like going slowly on it and do not rush it. Because uh, surely, but, uh, what do you call it? I said slowly, but surely, you'll get it. So, right. so uh, in the past uh, generations, ago and maybe still in, sometimes in the present, students, young children are discouraged from right. using uh, their family language and uh, that has repercussions. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that surprised me when I came to Cal Poly was in um, 3300 3, we talked about uh, you know how um, in California there was you know the, the initiative that said that you could not do bilingual education in the state and how that a lot of the students that went through school during that that time period are now here at Cal Poly Pomona as students and talking about their experiences as being native um, mostly native Spanish speakers and how much that felt like cultural violence against them and their their families and how many students um, mourn the loss of their their Spanish uh, and that's their they word them. Yeah, yeah the loss of their Spanish because they they weren't allowed to speak it in school and then their families were encouraged not to speak it at home as well and so they, they lost all their most of their Spanish in that way and it's so ironic in that uh, our nation is encouraging students to develop multiple languages yeah. world languages and here we are saying you need to be monolingual. Right. In fact, you have to be monolingual in your second language rather than in the first. Right. But we're, we've learned our lesson. We have, hopefully. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Policy is at least going that direction, and that's, that's great because once policy is there, you, um, even if people don't agree with it, they have to do it. <laughs> so uh, that's one of the lessons I think you teach in your social justice course is that uh, there's a role for teachers to get involved yes. in the uh, in citizenship activities rather than just be the recipient of uh, policy directives. 
Absolutely. We talk a lot about how there's the different ways to become involved in social justice. And for some people, that means going to protests, and that's great. And for some people, that means writing letters, and that's great. And for some people, it means advocating for two children in their classroom, and that's just fine, too. Um, and in that social justice class, we talk about self-care as well, because it is easy to become overwhelmed by the amount of injustice there is in the world as a teacher, seeing these young children and families every day being marginalized. Yeah, all educators feel that. Yes. And I, I feel it too at my level. Is that social justice emphasis something that you, an advocacy, something that you expected when you came into the Early Childhood Studies program? Not at all. I honestly, I didn't know the title going into, I just saw 3300, I have to take this course. <laughs> so I just, you know, check mark down, gonna take it in the fall semester. But I actually enjoyed learning about social justice and being more aware of like biases around me and in myself too. So I really liked it. So what were, if you don't mind my asking, what were some of the biases that you saw in yourself through this process? Sometimes I would uh, act different with a child that was like, that would speak only in Spanish. And I would try my best, but I would give maybe less attention to that child than I would with someone that can understand, a child that can understand me. Right. Yeah, stuff so you, like that. you would have discriminated against that child because... Sadly, I don't want to. Of course not, but none of us do. Yeah. It's unconscious. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I guess yeah. the other part of that is the uh, old societal thing of somebody struggling with English, they must not be very smart when it simply means that they're learning two languages. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you could imagine me on the streets of Paris trying to... <laughs> Speak French. How about you? Did you expect uh, that social justice emphasis? It's to be honest, yes, I did expect a little bit because my sister is a teacher already, so I kind of see her frustration on certain things. And then when I came to Kapali, now we're able to uh, dig more deep into it, so I'll be able to apply that knowledge to that. But it just amazes me, like how far like the research has been, and what we've seen, like how it impacts the child and the parents. If you're not able to uh, communicate with the parents, how can you be able to help out the child in the long run? Because they can learn it so much in that classroom, but once you take them to their parents, where is that uh, redirecting of information and then go to? And then that's the thing that it has to be a connection. So once that bridge is set, stable, then they'll be able to like keep on learning, progressing. So yeah. Good, good. So why did you go into early childhood, uh, you know, and I know there's a stigma about it, and I'm not even going to ask your professor <laughs> I know what she's going to say, but there are those who say, well, it's like babysitting or any, anybody can take care of young children. What's your response to that, and, and was that a consideration when you entered the field? Well, it's definitely not a babysitting job. It's a lot more. There's, there's a lot that goes into being a teacher for early childhood. Um, I love working with children. I knew that I have a passion, I had the patience, I wanted to learn so much about, you know, from birth through age eight. I actually started as a um, after school teacher program and I was working with third graders and that's where I developed the start of wanting to become a teacher. Then I started, I changed my major to liberal studies. And what then had I, it been? Oh, uh, it was at um, El Camino College. And what, what was your previous major? It was... Um, I wanted to be a dermatologist, so a dermatologist. it was chemistry. Then I took chemistry and I was like, no way. <laughs> no, 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 this is not for me. But then um, I actually took a child development course and I just 
I loved it. I wanted to switch my major and be a preschool teacher. And then I actually became a preschool teacher for two-year-olds. It was the best job ever. I'm sad, like, it was in Manhattan Beach, and I'm sad that, you know, I can't work there anymore because I moved, but um, it was awesome. Just teaching children new things that they don't know, like having them discover something new, like caterpillars, and then bringing in some caterpillars and seeing their reaction on their face is just like, it's priceless. And to know that I had something to do with it, it's just, it's a great feeling. So, Edmunda, we're going to get to you in a moment. Yeah, right? Don't worry, don't worry. I want to follow up handle. on this. Yeah. Uh, you were a preschool teacher before you received the education that Cal Poly Pomona is providing. Uh, did you make mistakes there that you think, look back, looking back, you could have prevented? Oh, yes. I made a lot of mistakes, but I'm glad I made those mistakes because that's how you learn. Um, I remember, I will never forget. So a child was playing and with all like these magnet tiles. I don't know if you guys know what magnet, yeah, he was taking Tell a Tell us what it is because the uh, audience may not. They're basically like blocks with magnets and so you can like connect them. They're kind of like Legos only, they're magnetically connected. Yeah, they're flat. Yeah. yeah, they're flat, yeah. Right. Like usually triangles, squares, they're really cool. So all the, uh, one child had all of the magnet tiles and another child sitting next to him wanted some, just like a couple but he wasn't sharing. And so I was still new. <laughs> so I grabbed, oh no, it's okay, let's share. And I took some of the magnet tiles away from him and he just started crying. And my director came over and she was like, what do you think uh, you should have done? And I'm like, maybe talk to him more and have him share and not me forcefully, you know, share. <laughs> so that was a polarizing experience. Yeah. Okay. Pardon the pun. Edmundo, <laughs> uh, uh, how about you? Uh, mine, I'll say it's uh, through development, like since I was little to now that I'm adult. Uh, my mom, she was a nurse back then. My dad was a machine operator, but I noticed that the caring that they gave for the parents kind of led me to that direction. And the thing that happened is that for males, it's mostly like, oh, you're a man, so you should be doing something else like computer science, uh, business, or some other major that makes a lot of money. And I started off that route first. I was a computer science for a while. And then once I was like, wait, my, my calling's not telling me that. Like, I feel like I got to do something else. So I changed my major during a community college. And then I went to the early childhood studies major, uh, child development major actually over there at Citrus College. And then from that, my teacher recommended Cal Poly because the associate degree transfer uh, degree, the ADT, is a gateway to like go inside to Cal Poly and be able to further up my knowledge for uh, child development. So after that, I just got stuck with it. I got amazed with it. And then being able to have all these teachers around you that are very well, like want to be engaged and then make you more analytical thinker that I felt like I was pushing myself to the limit that now when I look at things, it's totally different. And when I see other people and how they treat their kids and all that, it's like when I like sometimes they'll be like, oh, like, you know, you're not teaching your kid the right way. But in reality, it's because they're misinformed about how to like teach the child. So a great thing will be like, you know, just pass it on. If you have the info, pass it on to other parents or young ones so they can be able to develop that knowledge from a young age to when they're an adult. Because in the end of the day, they probably don't have that role model that could show them that way. And as a teacher, mm -hmm. uh, you immediately have the respect uh, as somebody who, who might have the expertise to uh, answer those questions. Mm -hmm. So you brought up an interesting issue. Uh, as a male in early childhood studies, yes. how many other males are in your class? Oh. 
Well, my brothers left some of them. They already graduated. So I think there are five in total. I'm, it's, I'm not real sure, but it's very little, though. Right. And uh, as a male elementary school teacher, I was, for many years, the only male in the school, uh, adult male in the school, other than the custodian. So uh, I, I know how that feels. Mm -hmm. are, there, are the prospects good for men to re-enter the field of early childhood studies? Yeah, there's um, actually our professional organization, the National Association for the Education of Young Children, um, has a has like a working group just for men who are uh, wanting to become teachers or are already teachers, and they have their own um, like gathering at the annual convention. There is a huge want and need for male early childhood teachers for a couple reasons. One is seeing a nurturing male in that in that context is good for children, but it's, it's, good also, it's also good for families to see that, yeah. um, that, that men are nurturing, particularly for boys who may be more inclined to be those sort of non-traditional um, male attributes around nurturing and caring and, um, and just continue to develop them. As we're having the conversation about toxic masculinity in our culture right now, um, it's it's really come to the forefront that this really needs to start in early childhood. Right. And I, I remember as a, a male elementary school teacher, I, for many of my students, I was the only adult male in their lives, which is a lot of responsibility yes. on a 22-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. uh, my first day as a teacher, I was the only male teacher in the school, and I accidentally walked into the girls' room, <laughs> uh, <laughs> mistaking it for the men's room. And, uh, boy, that caused a hubbub. <laughs> um, where do you, uh, Brianna, where do you see your career going uh, as you, uh, you're a junior right now? Mm -hmm. uh, once you uh, walk across the stage a year from now, uh, what's, what's, what's next? So I definitely want to go and get my master's and eventually my PhD in uh, child psychology. Um, for now, as I'm going to grad school, I'll probably, well, not at now, but eventually when I go to grad school, I'll probably be a preschool teacher. Why child psychology? What's, what's your goal there? I want to work with um, foster and um, adoption agencies and help families who are adopting or children who don't have parents or have a home, just help them and counsel them. And where did that uh, goal come from? Honestly, it started in high school. So I took a child development class in high school and they talked about an adoption agency and it just like, it broke my heart hearing some of the stories. And I knew I wanted to help some form or another, whether it's a counselor or just volunteering and being there for them and hearing um, children, just listening to them. Sure. Uh do you see that uh, a lot of uh, students come into early childhood with that kind of mindset? Yeah, about half of our students are planning to be something besides an, early, besides a, an elementary school or preschool teacher. Um, and OT and child psychology are two of the common uh, OT career OT meaning occupational therapy. Occupational therapy, yes. Which leads us to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so why early childhood leading to occupational therapy? Well, the way how I think about it, it uh, you got to understand like the whole uh, development. So from a youth to an adult. And from my experience, um, one of my jobs was being a caregiver. So I was working with children with exceptional needs. 
So I used to sit a good amount of time with them, uh, understand them, how they talk, and how you should interact more with them. Tell us more. What kind of special needs? Special are, needs. Did they have? Um, their uh, autism was one of them, and that was one of them that that got my attention more because in reality, I go in there, I don't have that much information because they just throw you in the field. You didn't really know much about autism. Didn't know about it. And then there was one day that just came up to me like, hey, I want to know more about it. So I'll be able to help them out and help myself out to make this experience better because I want to see them grow while I'm growing. So I told my boss one day, I was like, hey, do you have any books that I can read to be able to get more knowledge about? He's like, yeah, definitely. You're the first one that ever told me that. I bet that's um, true. I'm like, oh, all right, amazing. So after from that experience of the job, I started uh, wanting to develop more of my knowledge about it. So in the end, it just led me to be an occupational therapist in the long run because I'm like, if I'm able to apply all my knowledge that I learned from now to now they're adults or young children, I'll be able to help them out in the long run. So to wrap this up, what is it about the Early Childhood Studies program that would prepare someone to be an effective occupational therapist or child psychologist? I think what it comes down to is that we have such a developmentalist slant toward our program. So everything is framed around how children develop either typically or atypically over the early childhood time frame, but also connected to families. Families are so important in that familial context, particularly when you're talking about being a psychologist or being an occupational therapist um, and teaching that children, you know, parents are their ch child's first teacher. And so understanding the development as well as the family context is what really is the strength of the Early Childhood Studies program. And that's not the kind of thing that somebody naturally has. You need education you to do that. You absolutely need education to do that. Right, and that's why we have this wonderful program at Cal Poly Pomona. I thank all of you for your participation. Uh, I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Dean. Thank, thank you, you, Dean.